0: Section 6 of On the Various Forces of Nature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Sanjay Parikh. On the Various Forces of Nature by Michael Faraday. Lecture 3, Part 2. Cohesion chemical affinity and thus you see we can have a violet vapor or an orange vapor and different other kinds of vapor but they are always perfectly transparent or else they would cease to be vapors. I am now going to lead you a step beyond this consideration of the attraction of the particles for each other. You see we have come to understand that if we take water as an illustration whether it be ice or water or steam, it is always to be considered by us as water. Well, now prepare your minds to go a little deeper into the subject. We have means of searching into the constitution of water beyond any that are afforded us by the action of heat, and among these, one of the most important is that force which we call voltaic electricity, which we used at our last meeting for the purpose of obtaining light, and which we carried about the room by means of these wires. This force is produced by the battery behind me, to which, however, I will not now refer more particularly. Before we have done, we shall know more about this battery, but it must grow up in our knowledge as we proceed. Now here, figure 24, is a portion of water in this little vessel sea. And besides the water, there are two plates of the metal platinum, which are connected with the wires A and B coming outside. And I want to examine that water and the state and the condition in which its particles are arranged. If I were to apply heat to it, you know what we should get. It would assume the state of vapor, but it would nevertheless remain water and would return to the liquid state as soon as the heat was removed. Now, by means of these wires, which are connected with the battery behind me and come under the floor and up through the table, we shall have a certain amount of this new power at our disposal. Here you see, it is causing the ends of the wires to touch. That is, the electric light we used yesterday. And by means of these wires, we can cause water to submit itself to this power. For the moment, I put them into metallic connection, at A and B. You see the water boiling in that little vessel, C, and you hear the bubbling of the gas that is going through the tube, D. See how I am converting the water into vapor. And if I take a little vessel, E, and fill it with water, and put it in the trough over the end of the tube, D. There goes the vapor ascending into the vessel. And yet, that is not steam, for you know that if steam is brought near cold water, it would at once condense and return back again to water. This then cannot be steam, for it is bubbling through the cold water in this trough, but it is a vaporous substance And we must therefore examine it carefully to see in what way the water has been changed. And now, in order to give you a proof that it is not steam, I'm going to show you that it is combustible. For if I take this small vessel to a light, the vapor inside explodes in a manner that steam could never do. I will now fill this large bell jar, F, with water and I propose letting the gas ascend into it and I will then show you that we can reproduce the water back again from the vapor or air that is there. Here is a strong glass vessel G and into it we will let the gas from F pass. We will there fire it by the electric spark and then after the explosion you will find that we have got the water back again. It will not be much, however, for you will recollect that I shewed you how small a portion of water produced a very large volume of vapour. Mr. Anderson will now pump all the air out of this vessel G, and when I have screwed it onto the top of our jar of gas F, you will see, upon opening the stopcocks H prime H H, the water will jump up, shewing that some of the gas has passed into the glass vessel. I will now shut these stopcocks and we shall be able to send the electric spark through the gas by means of the wires IK in the upper part of the vessel. And you will see it burn with a most intense flash. Mr. Anderson here brought a laden jar, which he discharged through the confined gas by means of the wires IK. You saw the flash? And now that you may see that there is no longer any gas remaining, if I place it over the jar and open the stopcocks again, up will go the gas and we can have a second combustion. And so I might go on again and again, and I should continue to accumulate more and more of the water to which the gas has returned. Now, this is this not curious? In this vessel, see. We can go on making from water a large bulk of permanent gas, as we call it, and then we can reconvert it into water in this way. Mr. Anderson brought in another leaden jar, which, however, from some cause, would not ignite the gas. It was therefore recharged when the explosion took place in the desired manner. How beautifully we get our results when we are right in our proceedings! It is not that nature is wrong when we make a mistake. Now, I will lay this vessel, G down by my right hand, and you can examine it by and by. There is not very much water flowing down, but there is quite sufficient for you to see. Another wonderful thing about this mode of changing the condition of the water is this, that we are able to get the separate parts of which it is composed. At a distance, the one from the other and to examine them and see what they are like and how many of them there are. And for this purpose, I have here some more water in a slightly different apparatus to the former one. Figure 25. And if I place this in connection with the wires of the battery at A, B, I shall get a similar decomposition of the water at the two platinum plates. Now, I will put this little tube, O, over there, and that will collect the gas together that comes from this side, A, and this tube, H, will collect the gas that comes from the other side, B, and I think we shall soon be able to see a difference. In this apparatus, the wires are a good way apart from each other, and it now seems that each of them Is capable of drawing off particles from the water and sending them off and you see that one set of particles H is coming off twice as fast as those collected in the other tube O. Something is coming out of the water there at H which burns setting fire to the gas but what comes out of the water here at O although it will not burn will support combustion very vigorously. The lecturer here placed a match with a glowing tip in the gas when it immediately rekindled. Here then, we have two things, neither of them being water alone, but which we get out of the water. Water is therefore composed of two substances, different to itself, which appear at separate places when it is made to submit to the force which I have in these wires. And if I take an inverted tube of water and collect this gas, H, you will see that it is by no means the same as the one we collected in the former apparatus, figure 24. That exploded with a loud noise when it was lighted, but this will burn quite noiselessly. It is called hydrogen, and the other we call oxygen. That gas which so beautifully brightens up all combustion, but does not burn off itself. So now we see that water consists of two kinds of particles attracting each other in a very different manner to the attraction of gravitation or cohesion. And this new attraction we call chemical affinity or the force of chemical action between different bodies. We are now no longer concerned with the attraction of iron for iron, water for water, wood for wood, or like bodies for each other, as we were when dealing with the force of cohesion. We are dealing with another kind of attraction, the attraction between particles of a different nature, one to the other. Chemical affinity depends entirely upon the energy With which particles of different kinds attract each other. Oxygen and hydrogen are particles of different kinds and it is their attraction to each other which makes them chemically combine and produce water. I must now show you a little more at large what chemical affinity is. I can prepare these gases from other substances as well as from water and we will now prepare some oxygen Here is another substance which contains oxygen, chlorate of potash. I will put some of this into this glass retort and Mr. Anderson will apply heat to it. We have here different jars filled with water. And when by the application of heat, the chlorate of potash is decomposed, we will displace the water and fill the jars with gas. Now, When water is opened out in this way by means of the battery, which adds nothing to it materially, which takes nothing from it materially. I mean no matter. I am speaking of force, which adds no matter to the water. It is changed in this way. The gas, which you saw burning a little while ago, called hydrogen, is evolved in large quantity. And the other gas, oxygen, is evolved in only half the quantity so that these two areas represent water. And these are always proportions between the two gases. But oxygen is 16 times the weight of the other, eight times as heavy as the particles of hydrogen in the water. And you therefore know that water is composed of nine parts by weight, one of hydrogen and eight of oxygen. Thus, hydrogen 46.2 cubic inches is equal to one grain. Oxygen, 23.1 cubic inches is equal to eight grains. Water, steam, 69.3 cubic inches is equal to nine grains. Now, Mr. Anderson has prepared some oxygen, and we will proceed to examine what is the character of this gas. First of all, you remember I told you that it does not burn, but that it affects the burning of other bodies. I will just set fire to the point of this little bit of wood and then plunge it into the jar of oxygen, and you will see what this gas does in increasing the brilliancy of the combustion. It does not burn, it does not take fire as the hydrogen would, but how vividly Combustion of the match goes on. Again, if I were to take this wax taper and light it and turn it upside down in the air, it would in all probability put itself out owing to the wax running down into the wick. The lecturer here turned the lighted taper upside down when in a few seconds it went out. Now that will not happen in oxygen gas. You will see how differently it acts. Figure 26, the taper was again lighted, turned upside down, and then introduced into a jar of oxygen. Look at that. See how the very wax itself burns and falls down in a dazzling stream of fire. So powerfully does the oxygen support combustion. Again, here is another experiment which will serve to illustrate the force, if I may so call it, of oxygen. I have here a circular flame of spirit of wine, and with it, I am about to show you the way in which iron burns, because it will serve very well as a comparison between the effect produced by air and oxygen. If I take this ring flame, I can shake by means of a sieve the fine particles of iron filings through it, and you will see the way in which they burn. The lecturer here shook through the flame some iron filings, which took fire and fell through with beautiful scintillations. But if I now hold the flame over a jar of oxygen, the experiment was repeated over a jar of oxygen when the combustion of the filings, as they fell into the oxygen, became almost insupportably brilliant. You will see how wonderfully different the effect is in the jar because there we have oxygen instead of common air. End of section six.